Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, shrinkflation, Minnesota housing assistance, and part two of our series on Northwoods League baseball. But first... After more than a year of waiting, Minnesota's frontline workers finally were able to apply for their COVID hero bonuses this week. MNN's Bill Werner joins us with details on that, plus this week's political goings-on. Scott, the 45-day application window opened at 8 a.m. Wednesday morning. State officials stressing it is not first-come, first-served, and Governor Tim Walz taking a cautiously confident stance. We've got 45 days to capture all the eligible people. We need to do that. If there are some glitches in the early hours, you can rest assured that we're prepared to deal with that, and we have the next 44 days to get them on board. Within five hours of the online portal's launch, over 78,000 Minnesotans had applied for hero bonuses. Labor and Industry Deputy Commissioner Nicole Blissenbach indicated there were a few hiccups, but nothing that slowed things down significantly. We've had people identify some issues, and you know we really want to thank those applicants for that feedback because we were able to take that feedback, work with the vendor, and apply fixes extremely quickly. After the 45-day application window closes, there will then be a period where those who have been denied COVID bonuses can appeal. After that, simple mathematics. State officials take the $500 million that was appropriated by the legislature and divide it evenly among all eligible applicants, with each check not to exceed $1,500. No one will receive payment before anyone else. All of the payments will be processed at the same time after the, all of the applications have been processed and the appeals have been processed. If all the estimated 667,000 frontline workers apply, the hero bonus would work out to about $750 per person. The terror in Uvalde, Texas, sparked a renewed push at the state and national levels this week for tougher anti-gun violence laws. U.S. House passed a wide-ranging bill that would raise the age limit for purchasing a semi-automatic rifle and ban sale of magazines holding more than 15 rounds. Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar asked her colleagues across the aisle, When are we going to understand... The common denominator here is not just criminals, but making it easy for criminals to access deadly weapons. Republican Congresswoman Michelle Fishbach told Democrats, We already have gun laws in this country, and yet those laws continue to be broken. If Democrats want to talk about common sense, how about we talk about enforcing the laws that already exist? The bill has almost no chance of becoming law because the U.S. Senate is taking a different tack as Republicans accuse Democrats of politicizing mass shootings like those in Buffalo and Uvalde. Senator Amy Klobuchar told MSNBC, Both of the shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde, they were about 18-year-olds who are targeted with the ads on the Internet, who go out there, wait till their 18th birthday, and go out and buy an assault weapon when they can't even get a beer. And so at the very least, we should be changing that age. 
Meanwhile, back in St. Paul, a group of Democratic state senators said this week lawmakers must return to the Capitol for a special session to pass an unfinished public safety bill and said they should include anti-gun violence measures in that legislation. St. Louis Park Senator Ron Latz says Senate Republicans have repeatedly blocked even compromise measures for a red flag law and closing the background check loophole on gun show purchases. They played hide the ball while people kept getting shot and killed. Senate Public Safety Committee Chairman Maple Grove Republican Warren Limmer blames the violent crime wave on liberal judges who release violent criminals, on liberal county attorneys who he says don't enforce laws on the books, and he says also to blame, quote, Democrats' extreme rhetoric to defund the police. Democrats respond they want more resources for the police, but also want prevention measures to stop crime before it starts. And other groups continued pushing this week for a special session for different reasons. A coalition of city officials, county engineers, environmentalists, rural power companies, public works officials, and union leaders told state lawmakers get back to St. Paul and pass a bonding bill that they did not finish during the regular session. Dan Olson with Laborers International Union of North America says not to finish makes absolutely no sense that politicians can make promises for the November election, but we have problems today. I have a workforce willing to go to work today. I have to put gas in my car that is close to $6 a gallon today. Bradley Peterson with the Coalition of Greater Minnesota Cities says there's a backlog of water, wastewater, transportation, and other economic development projects. Skipping again this year means that those projects will either not get done, become more expensive, or weigh more heavily on local taxpayers. Peterson says the legislature not passing a bonding bill, not approving state aid for cities and counties, and not increasing the homeowners and renters' credits could result in property tax increases. Governor Tim Walz met virtually with legislative leaders again this week as he continued trying to get an agreement with Republicans on using the state's budget surplus so he can call lawmakers back to St. Paul for that special session. The governor says setting their waiting for the legislature's approval, the largest tax cut in state history, plus investments in education, public safety, and infrastructure. This was the work that the legislature's been supposed to be doing since January. We should bring them back and do that. Top Republican lawmakers have shown little interest in a special session. Analysts speculate their strategy is to have the whole budget surplus available for tax cuts if they win control of the whole legislature and the governor's office in the November elections. And Republican candidate for Governor Scott Jensen rolled out his 10-point anti-crime plan this week. We're asking people across the state, do you feel safer today than you did four years ago? Jensen says if elected, he will push for specific penalties for carjacking, stiffer consequences for repeat violent offenders. He says he will appoint judges who end so-called catch-and-release of violent criminals and order the state patrol to supplement local law enforcement in high-crime areas. Democrats say Governor Walls has already done that. Jensen responds. He hasn't done it effectively. I think that he should do it as long as it takes to get lawfulness restored. And recently, I think Governor Walls has said that he's not interested in doing that. That's GOP candidate for Governor Scott Jensen. And now back to you, Scott Peterson. And thank you, Bill Werner, for that report. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this.
Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person, and if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. As inflation and supply chain delays persist, many of us are hearing about shrinkflation. So what is it and what does it mean to us as consumers? Well, I asked University of Minnesota professor George John, and this is what he had to say. Basically, it's either reducing the amount of uh, stuff in a package or changing the package itself subtly so that you keep um, the original package in mind and you're not quite as aware that the amount of stuff has been cut back. So the idea is to keep the price the same while cutting back on the quantity. So uh, an example is Honey Bunch of Oats. If you go look at Honey Bunch of Oats right now, you'll see that the package is a wee bit narrower and the amount of uh, stuff in it has gone down by an ounce, a couple of ounces. I forget exactly how much. But instead of changing the, the price per package, they just change the amount. So you shrink it. That's what we mean by shrinkflation. Why? Because we're much more uh, perceptually aware of the price on the sticker than we are of the number of ounces in the package. Uh, As long as the size of the package hasn't changed drastically, we just assume it's the same package. And obviously this is because it's happening and it's somewhat widespread. It's it's a legal practice, although it does seem on the face of it to be somewhat deceptive. Is there is there any question of uh, ethical responsibility of uh, companies to to be doing something like this? Well, it's a it's a long-standing tradition. So uh, you know, there's so many instances of this. Uh, I wonder if you've ever noticed that nothing is ever sold as 12 ounces or 13 ounces. If you look at the site, it's always 13.7 ounces or 12.6 ounces. Why on earth do they do that? They just you know, try to drive you crazy. Um, that's really what it is. Now, if we were truly vigilant, these things shouldn't have an effect. They have an effect because, you know, we're busy in our own lives, or you go to the grocery store, you've got to pick up maybe 30 or 40 items if you have a family, Uh, you're not going to look at each single package, um, you know, with the attention that it deserves. The academics, of course, invent a word for this. We call this rational inattention. It's rational for us not to pay attention to all the details, because most of the time it doesn't matter. However, at a time like this, when a lot of companies start doing it, we become Uh, cognizant of it. So it's probably less effective right now than it traditionally is. Uh, So I'd say it's a little bit of a standoff between us, the consumer, and the producers out there. 
Is there a, a recourse for consumers or uh, just being more attentive is, is what's going to help us do uh, a better job at comparison shopping to get more for our money? Right. The reality is, Scott, you know, however much I can stand up here and pontificate and say we ought to be irrational and attentive, you know, we can't do that. Literally, you'd have to have a calculator and, and you know, be obsessive about it if you're really going to do that. What we really rely on to keep prices low is competition. And thankfully, in most of our industries, in, in groceries, wherever, it's competition that keeps prices down. That's really the reality of it. Now, you asked me about the legality. So you, what you will see is that they will always print the new amount, if they've taken it down from 12.9 ounces to 11.6 ounces, they'll always print that. So on a, on a literal basis, they're not cheating you, but on a pragmatic basis, uh, I think it sort of gets to the border of what's ethical, um, you know, but it's, it's, it's not something that's so egregious that, you know, people are going to be hauled into court over it as long as they print the actual new uh, quantity in there. Uh, for example, you will notice at the side of, uh, gross, uh, of uh, breakfast cereal, it always, you always find a little sentence which says product may have settled because a lot of people expect the product to fill the bag up. And, you know, it doesn't in the case of cold cereal. So they tend to put a, a line out there. That's that's coming halfway to being consumer friendly, right? Because they're trying to come to us where we are. Where does shrinkflation lie? I think it's a consumer unfriendly thing, uh, but I don't blame the companies because people are very sensitive price increases. In fact, we're more sensitive to price increases than is truly rational. Uh, we are very sensitive to changes. We're not that sensitive to the level of prices. So, it's it's a funny thing, but they they understand the psychology, and they're relying on that psychology. So they, we always notice the difference. We rarely notice the uh, the levels. Uh, Professor, we're we're dealing right now with uh, supply chain issues around the country and around uh, the world, and we've also got inflation. We're uh, still dealing with the impact of the pandemic at its peak. Uh, is all of this related? Is it some sort of a, a, a bit of a cycle that um, that causes uh, something like shrinkflation to come into our consciousness the way it is right now? Well, I, I, you know, this one is an easy one. Shrinkflation, as the word implies, is truly a reaction to inflation. If you think about it, if for these manufacturers to change their packaging is a huge hassle given all the supply chain problems we have. So the fact that they're doing it tells you how much the, the, uh, the price inflation and cost inflation is affecting them. So this is really driven by inflation. Now, if we want to step back and say, oh, but inflation is driven by the uh, supply chain uh, mess? Yeah, sure. But, but the companies that are actually engaging and changing the package sizes and the amounts are really dealing with inflation. Thank you to my guest, U of M professor George John. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesota housing officials are extending the deadline for homeowners behind on their mortgages to apply for assistance through the Home Help MN program. Tasha Radel has more. 
That's right, Scott. When the program was initially rolled out, the deadline to apply was June 17th. That has now been extended a full two months to August 17th at 5 p.m. Here to explain the Home Help MN program is Minnesota Housing Commissioner Jennifer Hull. I just want to remind folks what uh, Home Help MN is about. It was designed by the Congress and the U.S. Treasury Department to assist homeowners who are hurting to bring their mortgages and other eligible home-related expenses uh, up to date. Uh, the program provides up to 35000 to pay past due expenses, and it doesn't need to be paid back. Eligible expenses can include a, a home mortgage payment, including a contract for deed or a manufactured home loan, and related expenses like property taxes, insurance, lot rent, uh, homeowner association fees, or a tribal land lease payment. I, um, I think it's important to just pause for a moment on who is eligible because the uh, program income limits for this are, uh, are a little higher than some government assistance because it really is targeted at people who uh, have been able to purchase a home. I, um, eligibility is based on four different factors, meeting the income limits, owning a home, uh, experiencing a hardship during the pandemic and having past due expenses that are eligible. Again, if you take a look at the income limits, depending on your geography, the income limits uh, are as uh, high as 90,000 in some communities, up to 117,000 in, in other communities. So it's really important for folks to, to, to just take a look at the homehelpmn.org income limits just to see if they might be eligible. We actually think that the vast majority of homeowners who are behind uh, might might qualify. Uh, so there's this qualified financial hardship uh, requirement uh, that's been defined by the Treasury Department. It's a reduction of income, either temporary or permanently, or an increase in living expenses related to factors uh, of the pandemic. So that could be reduced work hours, loss of a job, lost shifts due to illness, an increase in childcare expenses, experiences that are common to so many households um, over the course of the last two plus years. Uh, you don't have to have experienced uh, uh, illness from COVID in order to be eligible. It's really kind of pandemic related pieces. You know, our understanding is that there are over 25,000 Minnesota homeowners that have uh, delinquent mortgage payments. They're behind on their mortgage. Uh, who are likely to be income eligible for Home Help MN. That's an estimated 85% of all delinquent mortgages. So very high percentage of homeowners who are behind who may be eligible. And of the 25,000, about 14,000 are behind uh, 90 days uh, or more. So, you know, I think uh, it's just important to realize that we are trying to get the word out. Uh, to to all of these households that they may be eligible so that they have the op opportunity to apply. But that said, we have been up and running since uh, May 17th. And uh, just to give you a snapshot of where we're at, um, as of uh, June 8th, um, uh, we had uh, received just under 2,800 applications. Um, we are going to have uh, a dashboard up soon at homehelpmn.org um, so that you'll be able to keep an eye uh, on this data. I, um, you'll remember that we uh, 
kind of had an announcement that people should get ready on May 9th, and then we actually opened for applications on May 17th with an intent to be open until June 17th. We're now extending that to August uh, 17th, and that's really based on what our experience has been the first few weeks that the program has been up and running. So let's take a look at who uh, those applications, those applicants are who have come in so, for, so far. 46% of all uh, the applicants uh, where we received the application identify as indigenous, black, or, or people of color. So uh, we know that's who's been disproportionately hit by the economic impacts uh, and the disease impacts of, of COVID-19. And so we're pleased to see that we have uh, been successfully reaching uh, these groups. 21% uh, indicated that a member of their family has a disability. I, um, also a group uh, that would have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic and the economic impacts. And then 8% of the households who have applied thus far have indicated to us that they're at imminent rent risk of foreclosure. I, um, we're actually uh, prioritizing looking at uh, any application where the household is at imminent risk of foreclosure. And, uh, you know, we're by doing that, we've been able to uh, actually delay um, or postpone uh, sheriff sales uh, in the foreclosure process. So, so pleased that we're that we're reaching uh, that group. We have been receiving applications from throughout the state. That's really important to us. We know that there are homeowners who are behind and hurting uh, all across the state. Uh, we feel pretty good about that, but there's always more that can be done. And so really appreciate uh, those of you who do uh, uh, local coverage in greater Minnesota to help us make sure that we're getting the word out in all corners of the state um, that, that this is available statewide. I, um, we are seeing a slightly higher uptake in the metro area. So, um, but still, uh, the message is a statewide message. We have, uh, we have funds available uh, and we're open for applications until August 17th. That was Minnesota Housing Commissioner Jennifer Ho. Again, if you are behind on your home mortgage, be sure to check out homehelpmn.org. Again, that's homehelpmn.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Last week, we heard about the start of the Northwoods League season in Minnesota and around the upper Midwest. This is the second week of the 29th season for the league, which features some of the top college players from around the country. Time now for part two of MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm's conversation with Northwoods League Commissioner and President Ryan Vaz, who also owns the franchise in Wilmer. He says fans and supporters are excited about the start of the season. I think what you're seeing a lot, too, is a lot of the business community that is supporting Northwoods League Baseball in their market. And if you're a business owner, um, you believe, uh, for the most part, that this is good entertainment, it's family fun, it's quality of life in your community. So if you're in Wilmer, Minnesota, you understand that you're trying to retain young professionals in your community, have them uh, raise families and uh, make the community uh, better. And uh, they want to be supportive of the Stingers and they want to be able to uh, continue to have Northwoods League Baseball in their market, whether it's Wilmer or St. Cloud or Mankato. Um, and so the business community is very, very uh, impactful of what we do. Um, I'd like to say that we open the gates in Wilmer and a thousand people show up off the streets to buy a ticket. Um, but a lot of those tickets have been purchased by businesses and then given to their employees or customers. Um, and so a lot of the, the heavy work is done in the off season in preparation for the upcoming season. And and not just baseball players, and I'll ask you about their development, but the, it, you mentioned it, the, the business part of it as well. Um, even you, I know you started right as an intern in this league many years ago and have worked your way up to commissioner and uh, running a franchise. And, uh, you know, you have team broadcasters and photographers and communication interns and equipment guys, I suppose. And, and all these people, and I say guys, women, of course, involved as yep. well heavily. Um, and they also are getting their crack at learning uh, baseball ball and maybe can move on to, uh, to to places of business, whether even sales and marketing, I suppose. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, the, the, the staffs of these teams have grown. And uh, I think back from when I started in 98 in St. Cloud, there was three of us, you know, there was the <laughs> general manager and two interns. Um, and now you have a full 10, 12 interns for us here in Wilmer. And there's markets uh, in the North League that have 20 to 25 interns. And so, uh, you go from the offseason having your full-time staff to uh, bringing in the players, bringing in the coaches. Uh, but, in, you know, the league has really uh, tried to create separators from other summer collegiate leagues. And one of the biggest one is the video broadcast. So any fan on a nightly basis across the country, across the world, can go to NorthwoodsLeague.com and watch the games for free. Um, new this year, we've added a game in each of the divisions on ESPN Plus as well. Um, and so that is a huge exposure piece to the Northwoods League being able to follow these games for free. It was a paid subscription two years ago. Last year was the first year that it was free. And uh, now you have a, a director, and an assistant director, uh, three camera guys that are running it. You're putting together a video broadcast every single day, a pregame show, a uh, play-by-play guy that's with it, a full graphics package. So it has really evolved into um, quite the production from that standpoint that, I would have never have guessed was going to be taken to this kind of level. You know, it, it never fails for us. We, we watched the Minnesota twins, right. And, and Hunter Dozier, for some reason, always hits home runs against the twins. And uh, it's cool. If you're a baseball fan to look back and say, that guy was a shortstop for the stingers. Uh, and now he's, you know, winning ball games for the Kansas city Royals against the twins. So that's the cool piece. If you're a baseball fan, uh, but a majority of our fan base are coming out for the fun factor. Mm-hmm. They might even leave when the game is tied to go home. Uh, and that's okay. But if you're a true baseball fan, uh, this, this is some cool stuff to watch. So 
one interesting piece will be that uh, this year's upcoming draft in July for MLB, there's a player by the name of uh, Brooks Lee from Cal Poly that played in Wilmer two years ago, and he's ranked as one of the top five draft picks uh, to go in the MLB draft. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he truly ends up being uh, the highest pick in the history of the league. So there's a lot of good players come through the league that uh, are going to get opportunities. That's Northwoods League President Ryan Vaz and MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.